Hello and welcome to episode five of the Shandy Special. I'm your host, Dustin Shandival, and I have a very special guest for tonight's episode. I have Detroit News' own Rod Beard. And for those who don't know Rod Beard, since 2001, Rod has been with Detroit News covering high school basketball and college sports, Michigan included, and he joined the Pistons beat in 2015. Rod, how are you? Good, good. I'm excited that the schedule's out, and now we've got some other stuff to chew on and we can talk about instead of the normal... Uh stuff yes yes i'm very excited to, to chat schedule with you a little later on um and, and also rod you started like i said in 2015 and you know they made the playoffs in that year for the first time since 0809 i for a second thought you're gonna be a good luck charm for us yeah it's kind of worked that way when I, I helped out with the lions for a bit uh made the playoffs when i started doing some stuff with the tigers they made the, the uh, playoffs in 2012 world series in 2012 actually uh, so every beat that I bounced around to, Michigan, the Final Four in uh, 2013, every beat that I bounced around to had had some immediate success. And I guess the Pistons making the playoffs is something. But, I mean, it's it's something to hang your hat on. I mean, we'll take it here. I wonder if Phoenix Suns will hear this and think, let's call this guy and bring him in. You know, you could be their good luck charm. Put him over. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're not getting me to move out to Phoenix. That's sure. <laughs> I mean, you might take a little pay raise up there. But, uh, I mean, let's keep you in Detroit for as long as we can. Um, and also, you were the creator of the hashtag Start Writing post on Twitter. And I did my math a little bit. Do you want to guess how many times you've used that hashtag for Piston Losses over your tenure with Detroit? For Piston Losses? Yes. I'm going to say 85 because I don't do it for everyone. I'm going to say 85. Okay. Well, I didn't count up the amount of times. That actually sounds insane. So the, the amount of losses you've covered is a 174. So total, including wow. playoff sweeps. So I included the eight losses. I mean, I really shouldn't even include the four Milwaukee losses. But, yeah, so uh, you've had your opportunities for sure to promote your little brand there and uh, sell some merchandise, which I think Tony Dabrowski is kind of, you know, the leader of this cult you've kind of formed with your sweatshirts going out there. How many how many sweatshirts and things have you sold, you know, since you since you launched that? It hasn't been many because I make each one individually. My wife and I kind of make them on the side it's just kind of a, a fun thing and anybody who's really interested in it um just paypal whatever it is 20 bucks and, and say hey we want a sweatshirt and then just ship them right out to people too and it's not a money making thing it's just more of a hey it's a fun thing and mm-hmm. you have a unique sweatshirt that not a lot of people have and and so it's that's more the the impetus behind it uh it's just sort of a fun thing some people like the cool t-shirts that are just unique or make some kind of statement and even when i wear it every once in a while when i'm out somewhere people ask about it and then they get kind of interested and say hey that's a cool uh, t-shirt that you have so that's just the, the background behind the shirts and everything else mm-hmm. so we're, we're getting into mugs we're getting into mugs and pencils and making a whole uh, bigger deal out of it but at mm-hmm. least for now it's just a small time deal mom and pop literally mom and pop thing that we're doing have you thought about having a Rod Beard night at the the Pistons game and maybe them just throwing like Hooper getting your sweatshirts and the machine or the uh, shirt shooters and just you know popping them in the crowd? I feel like that could get people out there. You know, I think your following would go out there for that. Well, you know what? I need to think about that. Then is um, <laughs> start marketing a little bit more, and that's probably on a bigger scale. And I have to uh, <laughs> twist my arms to do that. But even still, it, it's just kind of a cool thing. And I, I, I've been to games and people have been wearing them, and I'm like. It's very impressive, and I might have to get my hands on it here in a second. Maybe I'll get a discount after the show. We'll see if this goes well, you know. <laughs> I got a 40% off code. 
There you go. All right, James Edwards. I see you, brother. Okay, so for the show, we're going to talk NBA schedule and what it means for the Pistons, how things are looking for us. We're going to hit Michael Beasley's edition and what that means for the roster. We're going to kind of close out with some trade chatter surrounding Reggie and potentially Andre, and then close with some uh, Blake Griffin and some Twitter things. But before we do that, I wanted to quickly hit some Twitter questions about your experience as a sports writer. You know, you're almost creeping on that 20-year mark. I don't know if you want me to say that. You know, it might scare you a little bit, but I mean, you're, you're close. I mean, you've really had a great career in writing. And uh, Connor Kelly on Twitter, and this is a question I'm sure um, you have gotten before and you've talked about, but I know many young writers going into this business ask themselves, can I be married with kids and still be a sports writer? How does that look? And I just kind of want to get your opinion and how you've tackled trying to juggle you know, the traveling job and being present for your family over the last, you know, 18 or so years. Well, and, and I'll start with a tweet that I, I made earlier today, too, is that when the NBA mm-hmm. schedule comes out, it literally is, you can find out what your schedule is for the next uh, six or eight months when the NBA season starts in October, generally till April or May, uh, because there are any number of family events. There's a cookout, there's, there's Thanksgiving, there's Christmas, um, and the Pistons haven't had to worry about Christmas, but teams that, I mean, Golden State, Cleveland for a number of years, uh, you don't know whether you're going to be home for Christmas. You don't know whether mm-hmm. you're going to be for your, your kids' um, recital or performance or your friends want to go out and do something special. They want to take a guy's trip and go somewhere. As a beat writer, you really don't know what your schedule is until the NBA schedule comes out and they say, hey, here's what you got. And you got to kind of look in between and find these times where you can do your trips. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a family, the thing that I've generally done is try to, to carve out um, time that I can spend with my wife, um, usually around our anniversary in December, that I can take a few days off and we can take a trip uh, just by ourselves and just do something or maybe do something with the kids specifically. Um, in the summer, it's a little bit easier because you've got some of that time off and the schedule is a little bit more loose. But mm-hmm. you've got to really work around it if you you have a family and you're an NBA beat writer. It's, it's very... Um, you absolutely first have to have an understanding spouse in order to do it, and then your kids just have to kind of understand what's going on. And, and my younger son has been really good about it, and he'll he'll say during the season, "Hey, uh, you guys got the doesn't have the, the Hawks tonight or the Mavs or whatever," and he just kind of reminds me of who's of, because after to get into that rut and that routine of it's another game, it's another game. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily remember who, the, who they're playing. It's more of it's another game and it's another game. So those are just a couple of ways that I deal with it is try to break the schedule up and, and find little pockets in there where I can spend time with family and then overlay it with our family calendar of all of the other stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. So have you tried to you know bring your kids into games or what does that kind of look like in the sports writing business? Yeah, sometimes you try to, to find one that's, I mean, it's going to be hard to get a uh, Lakers or Clippers or, or Raptors or something like that this year. Um, but I try to bring them to one or two, and generally it means if, if they're going to come to a game that I'm not going to cover that game because it's just too hard to manage mm-hmm. all of that stuff at the same time. But when we do, we have a lot of fun, and it's different. When you're sitting in the stands and you're a sports writer, you're just taught not to clap, not to cheer. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a different experience when you're sitting in the stands and you're trying to enjoy the game because you're not cheering for the team that you're covering, and you're really not cheering for the other team, too. You're just kind of there, and you're a dad, and... and with no rooting interest either way. Mm-hmm. And kind of going off of that, I mean, I saw you were facing, you know, some really intense Twitter heat earlier from one from one Twitter user, and I'm not going to say his name, but it's Scott Dillon. But anyways, so he was saying you were complaining about your job or other things like that. 
So I wanted to ask you, I mean, what keeps you going and happy in this never stopping business that you're just constantly going and grinding? Well, in, in, in relation to that tweet too, it was more of, it was the same point about mm-hmm. we finally get to make our life schedules for the next eight months or so for the most part. I mean, what cities we're going to be in, what times, what, what things we can miss, what things we can get to in terms of family events. Um, but it, it's just the constant sort of knowing that you've got the balance of there's probably eight months of that NBA season, but then you got a couple months in the summer where you don't have that time off, but it's just it's shorter work weeks. You might have mm-hmm. a three-day week or, and get an extra day off or a couple of days off. You take most of your vacation during the summer um, to try to balance that. But what drives me more is the um, – there's something about being in the NBA season, knowing that there's a game every day just about. There's something else. Even if the team that you're covering isn't playing that night, there's something else that you can watch or something else you can do. Some people mm-hmm. like to unplug from that, and if they, they don't have a game that day, they're just not watching any kind of basketball. And some people do it a little bit differently, too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay, so let's dive into the schedule here. The Pistons schedule is released at uh, 3 o'clock Eastern today, and I kind of want to just hit some points some headlines over the schedule i mean the first televised game is december 9th against new orleans of course is on effect on nba tv so we have four nba tv games two on espn and one on tnt and we have 13 back-to-backs above the league league average of 12.4 starting with the, i mean the first opening nights back-to-back i don't know if i've seen that before um but also 14 of the last 24 games we played on the road including six of the last eight so hearing all that sounds pretty daunting of, of schedule so let's start with this rod what do you like and dislike about our schedule? Does this feel like a more brutal schedule than usual, or what do you think? Well, it's just brutal in, in how you look at it. I mean, when you slice it, it's always 41 and 41. Well, this year's different because the Pistons have the one game in, in Mexico City that's mm-hmm. taken away one of their home games against Dallas. But it's still 41 and 41, so you're going to play everybody in the Eastern Conference. You're going to play everybody in the West. But what seems kind of imbalanced in the Pistons schedule is they've got the easier part of their schedule is weighted on the front half, the mm-hmm. pre-All-Star break. And I, there was a tweet earlier that they have the easiest schedule mm-hmm. pre-All-Star break in the league and then the hardest right after that. Mm-hmm. And um, their second West Coast trip and a lot of those other road games are weighted in that second half of the season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, logic dictates they've got to be good in October and November and really jump out the gates really hot. Um, because then in December, the, the, that big West Coast trip with um, Utah, both of the, the Lakers and the Clippers and Golden State, mm-hmm. uh, that big road trip is between uh, December, January, right? Flipping the calendar there. So they've got to be really good in the first part of the year. And where that kind of trickles down to is if they're thinking about trading and making some roster changes before the trade deadline, they've got to do that with the bigger harder part of their schedule coming right after the all-star break so that could Mm -hmm. dictate how a lot of this stuff goes and whether they make the playoffs is how they start the season and they get into the middle part of january okay you know i was kind of looking at the uh, back-to-back opponents the second part of the back-to-back and i see you know we had the bucks three times which seems you know very unfair um we had the nets twice we had the lakers once but five of 13 are against quote-unquote weak opponents including the Knicks twice, actually three times, and the five of the 13 are all, or the four, sorry, are all January and beyond. So if you're the front office, do you look at that and think, we could probably get away with resting Blake those games, and do you think that's kind of a realistic take on that, or what do you think on that? Well, I think that's going to be very fluid, and even when you talk about resting Blake Griffin, you've also got to look at resting 
Derrick Rose, too. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be, um, I don't know if they're going to be rested the same day, mm-hmm. but they definitely will be rested. Um, and and I, the sweet spot for me, I would look somewhere around 65, 70 games for both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I forget the number that Derrick Rose played last year, but it was something like 60, 61, I want to say, uh, number of games that he played before his injury situation. So they want to try to monitor that as much as they can. And I think they'll be smart with uh, how they do with Blake Griffin. And some of those games will be at home that they end up resting them probably, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you, it, it, various teams do it different ways. And I've tried to talk to some folks about what the plan would be for Derrick Rose this year. And they said they got to really get him in and, and look at his medical records and, and see um, what the best way to manage his minutes would be. And maybe it's not necessarily games. Maybe it is minutes um, that he plays per game instead of uh, the number of games. But I think it's still early to, too early to tell on that. But I think that's uh, certainly a consideration is how they balance that and which games they choose to sit guys um, and, and which ones they, they choose to play the, the other ones and what those combinations are going to look like. And with the addition of Markeith Morris, I think that fans kind of feel you know better about if Blake sits, do you think it's realistic to think that, you know, Marquise can, can start at the four and, and kind of provide some offense that could potentially, you know, get us some wins when Blake sits? Should we feel okay about that? Or do you think that we should get Blake as many times as possible? Well, I, I think, again, it, it's got to depend on how they start the season. If they, they start mm-hmm. out hot and they're one of the top four or five, maybe six teams in the East, as they get into January, then they might be able to ease off a little bit because they can um, feel like that they've done a lot of the work that they need to mm-hmm. do. But the, the Marquis Moore signing was, was probably one of the better ones because it's a low-risk deal, and it's a position that they certainly need some help. And people looked mm-hmm. at Don Maker last year and thought that that was going to be a long-term solution or that was going to be not much of a drop-off. It's a significant drop-off. And it doesn't matter whether you're playing Don at, at power forward or backup center that you're going to see some some production loss there going from Blake mm-hmm. to him. Um, so Morris is a guy who can post up and gives you some toughness down there and some, some muscle uh, where you don't have a lot of other post-up options that maybe even they don't post up Trey as much, but they can look at Morris as a guy off the bench that they can go to along with Rose and give them a couple of different looks that they can give teams in, in that second unit. And so, I mean, Rose is, is probably the most significant signing, but Morris, I think, is right behind that, that mm-hmm. um, a guy that you can look at who might be able to give you some significant production. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. And Derek Rose played 51 last year, which was his most since 51, okay. Yeah, most since 2017, 2018. So, I mean, it, it'll be significant to even get him to 60, 65, like you said. But moving on. I mean, everyone freaked out at the beginning when Vegas, you know, came out with their odds with Detroit at 37.5 wins. I mean, looking at the schedule now and having some hours to kind of digest it, do you think whether we finish much past that mark or is it kind of like, you know, that's not an unfair thing to give Detroit at this point? Well, you look at the East being a little bit better than it was last year. Really, the league as a whole, there aren't that many terrible teams that are just going to be tanking from day one. Um, mm-hmm. The Knicks certainly aren't in that boat. I don't think they're going to be tanking. They're going to be going for it, and they think they have a, a chance at that eight spot. Mm-hmm. The Nets are certainly not a team that are going to be um, in the dregs of the league. Maybe Cleveland in the East. Atlanta's not going to be doing that. They're going to mm-hmm. go for it this year. So I think that fact just starts to subtract some wins from the other middling teams in the East. And the West being a little bit better um, mm-hmm. is going to add a couple to that. The Lakers aren't going to be a doormat anymore. You, you just can't find easy wins in the league anymore. So somebody's got to be that bottom team. Somebody's got to be a team that, that um, takes some more of those losses if other teams are going to get more wins. I think they think the Pistons are that team. 
mm-hmm. a suitable replacement or get something back in return in a potential trade that would let them be, again, one of those teams that are snapping up some of those wins. And we're going to kind of jump into the Michael Beasley signing now. And I mean, the Shans bomb came out a few days ago. He signed a one-year non-guaranteed deal. And it, I think it sent a wave of confusion over the Pistons fans base. Just kind of out of left field, out of nowhere. Not necessarily a bad move. Um, but why do you think they brought him in? And what does this mean for a roster with one too many guys now? Well, I think it, his non-guaranteed deal along with Christian Wood almost certainly dictates that one of those is going to make it and one isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, unless there's some other deal that, that happens somewhere down the road, I, I just don't foresee that. I didn't foresee the Beasley either. But I did think that they were uncomfortable with their small forward situation that um, Tony Snell and is, is their starter, presumably, and Seiko is a guy that he may take some time to really develop and figure out exactly what he is. And if you look at see Mikhailo, he, he's not a guy who's uh, going to come in and start at small forward. He might not be a guy who uh, is a backup three. And he's, mm-hmm. he's really maybe not even a three at all. Maybe he's more of a two mm-hmm. that um, you've got to figure out what you're going to do in terms of your roster balance and get another small forward in here. Uh, Marquise Morris, if you think that he's similar to Marcus Morris and he can play some small forward, but, I mean, that maybe a couple minutes here or there, but he can't guard a lot of small forwards. He's maybe mm-hmm. not as fleet of foot as Marcus is. So they really were stuck in terms of small forward and what they were going to do in terms of roster. And, and again, it's, it's a low-risk move. If he doesn't make the regular season roster, then his contract's not guaranteed, and you don't know very much of anything. So I think it's, it's more taking a flyer, and if it's something that works out, then great. If not, move on to the next guy. In takeaway last year, in 2017-2018, you know, he was in 74 games, averaged 13 and 5.6 rebounds, and he finished 39.5% from three, granted 1.2 attempts. But, I mean, he's 30 years old. He can still contribute. I don't think it's a bad move um, at all. But do you, did you like the move? Yeah, I, I think it's, again, because, and, and this is one hallmark of this front office, they don't, they're not taking huge gambles. These are things mm-hmm. that are sort of, if you, you want to say Derrick Rose's injury history makes him a gamble, look at the price that they paid for him. Tim Frazier is a, mm-hmm. a smallish contract, but a guy who could play a lot of minutes behind Rose and, and Reggie Jackson, or if Reggie gets traded, he could play a lot of minutes as a solid backup, or maybe even a starter, because he started 70 games in his career. Um, they haven't taken a lot of risky moves that you scratch your head at and say, what are they doing? Why did they commit that amount of mm-hmm. money? There hasn't been very many, very much in terms of bad contracts, so it's more of they're taking chances, looking at a guy, and, and even in Don Maker's case, you trade Stanley Johnson for him, and you, you had given up on Stanley anyway, but you get a guy that you get to evaluate for a year and a half. That's mm-hmm. a plus mm-hmm. if you really want to look at it. So all of these moves that they've made, Christian Wood, um, Tim Fraser, uh, Marquise Morris, all of these things are kind of let's see what they have, and maybe it's, it's somebody that can help the team out. Uh, and I think it's the same looking at this one, too, is that uh, it's a guy that if it pans out great, with, with all of the uh, drug concerns in the past, mm-hmm. with the five-game suspension that's looming, if it works out, hey, we, this is something that we didn't see that, that kind of worked in our favor. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And if the last roster spot does come down to Wood and Beasley, I know I read one of your previous articles about Wood, and you said he could be one of the biggest additions if he settles into the role of backup center. For the team purpose, who do you think would be better staying on the team, Beasley or Wood? I think Wood, because I, th- I think there's a big hole there in terms of backup center minutes. And if Wood can play the way that he did at the end of the season last year, there's a bigger opportunity for him. And yeah, Drummond, is, barring some injury, Drummond isn't going to 
dropped in terms of his minutes. I think he was mm-hmm. at 33 last year. So that only leaves about 15 minutes a game mm-hmm. for your backup center to play. If Wood can, can be efficient in 15-plus minutes a game, I mean, that's a lot of minutes there for the taking. It, it, you can do some small ball lineups where, where Blake is playing at the five, and there might be some chances for Don Baker to play at five, but I think the bigger glut of those minutes is, can be spent on Christian Wood and he can deliver in those. Because he, he's got some three-point capability. He can, mm-hmm. he can uh, score in the paint for you. He can pace up. He can do a lot of different things that maybe you don't see from Don Baker. Mm-hmm. All right, awesome. So now we're going to jump into the Reggie Jackson chatter. I mean, you kind of took Twitter off on August 6th when you wrote that Jackson, quote, will very likely be moved before the trade deadline. So how sure are you that he will actually be moved, and what are the chances that the Pistons can actually win any trade involving him? Well, I think it's just because it's an expiring contract, it's going to be very, very palatable to a team that, again, is trying to free up some money for free agency for next year Mm -hmm. or just for years down the road. And you might be able to get a more quality guy and take on a bigger contract with $18 million coming off the books in in Reggie's case. At a certainty level, I'm not absolutely sure, but Mm -hmm. I feel pretty confident that that's the direction that they're going to go because they've been waiting for this contract to come off the books forever. And if it, mm-hmm. if it isn't going to, if they're just going to let it expire, then they would lose all of the assets that they have. And from what we've seen with this front office, certainly with Reggie Bullock last year and Stanley also at the deadline last mm-hmm. year, they're not going to let a, a, an asset like that just expire. I think mm-hmm. this is something where, um, and, and plus with the addition of Tim Frazier, it really says they wanted to get a quality, quality third point guard. And Tim Frazier's probably the best third point guard they've had in the past four or five years or so, mm-hmm. that they wanted somebody that if Reggie gets injured, if um, Derrick Rose gets injured, somebody who could come in and play some quality minutes for him. Reggie Jackson, I think, can help another team, and I think he can help them if they're cash-strapped and they're looking to, to write their books a little bit. And I think the Pistons are going to take advantage of that and unload him, maybe get another point guard back in return. But I don't think it's, it's more of a they don't like him. I don't think it's so much that. I think it's just the opportunity of having that big salary to clear somebody else's books and get some type of asset in return. They value that more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I've seen chatter about trying to involve Langston Galloway's contract with Reggie to try and maybe even sweeten the deal or you know get some more talent. Exactly. I mean, Langston being a 35.5% three-point shooter last year and 4.8 attempts, I mean, we know what we're getting from him, but I mean, teams could use that second half of a season trying to push the playoff chase. Um, what do you think the odds are of him you know, being gone before the deadline or maybe moving with Reggie? I'd say for, for each one of them, I'd probably say in the 80% range, 70 to 80%. That I really think they, they the front office looks at those assets as something that they can move and do something with, and especially if they um, don't do well in the first half of the season and, and they're struggling, that um, they could just call it a sale and just say, you know what, we're just not going to – we'll try to get in at the eight spot, mm-hmm. but um, – if this isn't going to be a deep playoff run and this isn't the squad that we thought we were putting together and assembling, then let's try to get the best we can out of it and move on and look at the future. Because, again, once you get Josh Smith's money off the books, Reggie and Langston's money off the books, they already got Lures off the books, then, I mean, you can start looking at other things that you can do. And I know we'll talk about Drummond at some point, too, but if mm-hmm. Drummond opts out of his deal at the end of next season, how much cap space do you have and how much ability do you have to really change the direction of this franchise, whether they want to do it with Blake or without Blake? This is the point that they had been looking forward to um, in, those, in those Stan Van Gundy years and even after those Stan Van Gundy years of having the flexibility to do some 
Mm-hmm. And I might be crazy to think this here, but if Rose shows that he can stay healthy throughout the year, do you think the front office maybe thinks, you know, we could ride with him at the point starting role and then put Tim back up to try and move Reggie Lance? Or do you think there's a there's not really a chance that's going to be a possible thing? Yeah, I, I think that's possible, but in any deal, you want to try to get a point guard back mm-hmm. just for roster balance. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't just want to – ideally, you want a third point guard who could play if something happened. And, and this mm-hmm. man saw that last year with Jose Calderon, who just wasn't what he was in the previous couple of years, that um, it, it helps to have a guy who can come in and soak up some of those minutes. So I, I would say it, it's – I still think it's a, a big chance that they're able to trade – uh, Reggie and get something in return. It may not be equal value, and that's been the sticking point these past couple of years. Is maybe there are people who do want him, but they'll give you a second round pick, or mm-hmm. um, the, the salaries won't match, or something that that just isn't palatable. I think as you get down to the deadline this year, and that expiring contract now makes it a little bit more valuable, and teams are going to snip around a little bit more to see what they can get. Okay, cool. All right, so we're going to jump into now Andre Chatter. And we had, you know, two people on Twitter ask similar questions about Andre. One asked, will Pistons re-sign Andre look at him to go for trade deadline? And then another guy said, what is the percentage chance of re-signing Andre? And so what are your thoughts on him right now? Do you think that the Pistons will actually be listening actively around the trade deadline or going toward that? Yeah, I think they're, they're, they've always listened to trade talk on him and, mm. and what the offer was. But again, you get to balance and whether it's a fair market value. And they, they covet him. They look at him as a two-time mm-hmm. all-star. He's only just turned 26 the other day. Um, who's still figuring things out. He's the best rebounder in the league. And, and we can mm-hmm. talk back and forth about whether rebounding actually matters anymore. But it does. And, and you can see the games that he missed last season, the difference in that a lot of those loose balls were there and blah, blah, blah. Andre's probably one of the most polarizing players in Detroit, regardless of sport, because mm-hmm. of the salary. And I always, whenever I talk about Drummond, his salary wasn't based necessarily on merit. It was based on what his potential was mm-hmm. and the Pistons needed to face at the time. If somebody offers you a max contract, you're not going to say, no, I don't want that because I haven't earned it or I, I, haven't, I don't deserve that. Um, you're going to take it. And the Pistons did that. He didn't twist their arm and he didn't tell them what to do. So it, a lot of that um, that negative energy comes from, and, and it's directed at Drummond, but he does what he, he did what anybody else would do in that situation. The Pistons mm-hmm. were in a, a corner, they needed a guy, he was that guy, he benefited from that situation. So I think he is a top 10 center in the league. I think mm-hmm. he is a guy who still can get better. His offensive skills are going to get better. Um, and, and we've seen already that he's been working on his three-point shot. I don't know how much point case is going to let him shoot that, but I can't see him opting out, but I said the same thing about Al Horford, that there's no way that Al Horford is opting out of $30 million, and of course he opts out of it. So um, it just depends on what the market is, and this free agent market next summer is not very deep. There aren't Mm -hmm. very many quality big-name guys because Draymond Green uh, re-upped with the Warriors as well. So teams are going to go searching, and somebody's going to offer him a, a... 30 plus million dollars and then what are the Pistons going to do? I mean, and, and that's mm-hmm. part of what this year is going to show is, are, do they want to negotiate now and extend them now and maybe get a better deal for it? Do you want to give them four years and 120 million or four years and, and 125 or something like that knowing that if he has another good all-star year, that cost is going to go up and 
they have to decide whether he's in their long-term future. And at 26, all-star caliber center, mm-hmm. I'd have to say yes. I mean, what, what's your other alternative there? If, you, if the mm-hmm. business did have $40 million in cap space, what are they doing? What are they going out and getting with that? Is it going to be somebody better than Drummond at the center position? Maybe, maybe not. You, you might say that they don't need to spend $30 million at the center position, but then mm-hmm. who are you going out and getting anyway? Is, mm-hmm. Can you get Brad Beal? Can you go out and get somebody that going to be an all-star, all-star caliber free agent, it, that's, it, it doesn't look like it. It's not clear. So if, would you rather have Drummond or overpay for a guy who's not an all-star and give him that same $30 million? That's the question that they're going to have to answer. Mm-hmm. And looking at it now, uh, what percentage do you think you would give Andre as of right now that he would keep the player option and play that one more year? That he that he retain a player option? Oh, let's say... I'd say about 80% okay. that he'd keep the player option because he would have to have a, 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 a wink-wink deal with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And knowing that that would be long-term money and more than $30 million. So he'd have to have a, um, let's say, four years and one to 40 from somebody, $35 mm-hmm. million from somebody else that he would um, – he would want to leave and turn down his $28 million. Or, I mean, it could be the Pistons saying, hey, opt in, go one more year with this, and then they'll pay him something more than that uh, after, or not just not summer 2020, but 2021, when um, Blake's coming off it anyway. So, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways to look at it. And for as long as Tom Gores has been the Pistons owner, I've kind of, you know, you see that relationship that the two of them have, and Gores absolutely loves and adores Andre. If the moment came before the trade deadline this year, where you know we have a great deal, let's let's push for it. Do you think Gores would be able to you know let him go, or do you think? Because I don't know, you're gonna know this better than I do, but they've obviously listened to trades in the past. But I feel like Gores has been very, uh, very you know, it's tough to let him go. Do you think that Gores has that kind of impact, or do you think he's letting Ed fully take control in this scenario? Yeah, and I, I, the reports are out there that that. Um Gores nixed a couple of deals that Van Gundy wanted to make to get Drummond out of there. I think that was some parts of um, there not being equal value there. Because, again, mm-hmm. if you're looking at what – I think Willie Cauley-Stein was one of them. And it, it, for what they think Andre is on the court and what he will become in the next couple of years on the court, mm-hmm. the equal value just isn't there. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you said Andre Drummond for Al Horford straight up, would you do that? Some people would. A lot of people would. But that value in that particular trade hasn't been there. It's always been for lesser pieces, smaller pieces. And does that fit with what the Pistons are trying to build on the court um, moving forward? And I think that's somewhat the issue, but it is. I think there's some familiarity there that Gore's like likes Drummond and uh, wants to keep him around because it's a superstar that he's familiar with. He's no, he knows he's not going to get in trouble. He knows he's not going to have to worry about going to bail him out of jail, of jail for anything. So... Mm-hmm. There's some familiarity there, and owners tend to like their superstars because they know what they're getting in them, unless they can get somebody significantly better. But from a personality standpoint, you can see a lot of connection between Drummond and Boris. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it sounds like you, you feel pretty confident that Andre will come back. I mean, if the possibility happens where the Detroit's not doing very well, you know, going into the deadline, and they try and move Andre and Reggie, and they're successful. I mean, do you think that it's 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 close to rebuild time? Do you think that they, you know, start listening for Blake Griffin offers and, and think, you know, let's just take our young guys, Sekou, Kanar, Brown, those kind of guys, Kyrie, and just, you know, see what happens? I mean, is there a possibility that we could just see a, a blow-up by trade deadline? I think that would have to be 
using that can help them and spend that money a little bit differently than mm-hmm. the previous regime did. Uh, I think they really want to hold on to Blake Griffin until it's absolutely sure mm-hmm. that there's nothing that's going to happen with it. And, and what brings that about? I mean, if, if Griffin gets injured, you're not trading because the value goes down mm-hmm. too far. Mm-hmm. So it would have to be other people getting injured and Blake just kind of playing by himself and playing solo and being so discontent that he would demand a trade. I mean, that's that's a lot of things that would have to happen in my mind for that scenario to come about, that they would be real willing to get rid of Blake Griffin before the deadline this year. I, I just don't see that happening. That um, I don't know, they'd have to lose and be really out of playoff contention for them to say, hey, we're just packing everything in and um, trade all of our assets and just start from ground zero. I, I can't see them doing that. I would see them trying to add another mm-hmm. all-star and go into the luxury tax um, before they, they traded away and just blew the whole thing up. I just don't see that. Just from, from conversations with people and the way that uh, Tom Gorgia views being competitive and trying to have a winning product on the court. And when, whether it happens or not is, is not necessarily his doing, but it is something that he is really, at least he said the right things about going into the tax to make sure that he has a competitive product. If he thinks that he can add the player that's going to get them there, he would go into the tax board. And I take him at face value on that. So do you see Blake Griffin, do you think that he has two, three years left of you know providing the, the kind of offense that he did last year? Do you think that he's just one injury away? Because I look at this, he kind of has a two-year window, and then 21, 22, making 38 mil. I guess you can never know, but the fact that we had the year that we had with him last year, it's scary to think that we can get two more years of that. What do you think his window is? You can even predict yeah, I think, that. I think two, two is probably the max on that, that he'd be 32, and he'd still be good because he's, he's figured out how to diversify his game, and he's added that three-point shot, and he can do a lot of different things. But we saw last year, he's not muscling guys in the paint the same mm-hmm. way that he used to. He's not, uh, certainly not as, as acrobatic and, and athletic around the rim and over the rim. He's got to add some different aspects to his game um, to be, to, to have that longevity. And he's trying to do that. And part of that is just staying in shape and staying healthy. Uh, and, and he did that last year. I don't know if he can do that for two more seasons. Um for three more seasons, I think he can do it for two. I think this year and next year, if they really watch these minutes and the number of games that he plays, that he can get two good years out of that. That third one is the big question mark, though. So do you think that Gores can put a good team, I'm upgrading from this team this year, a good team around Griffin whenever he can still contribute? Or do you think that we won't really hit the best years of Pistons basketball until after he's off the books completely? I, I think that's all he really has is, is, is this year and next year. Mm-hmm. Is, is from a Gores standpoint and from a Griffin standpoint, mm-hmm. if you really want to try to um, build something around him, it's got to be this year. And again, that's why I think the Reggie Jackson deal is, is just going to happen. Is um, They're going to do everything in their power to try to bring in all the assets that they can between this summer and um, between this season and the summertime to try to build what they can. And next year is the year. If, if you don't do it next year, mm-hmm. then they're just not going to do it. it because you're only going to have that last lame duck year for Griffin. And are you going to extend him after that? Understanding what age he's at and what his production could look like? Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think so. I mean, and, and, and you can look at the Russell Westbrook situation and, and say the same sort of thing is, why didn't the Pistons go after Russell Westbrook? Well, <laughs> there's so much. You, you're making that window even smaller with mm-hmm. Westbrook because if he loses that step, then you're c- completely pot committed on mm-hmm. him and that athleticism is the last real thing 
that he has. He doesn't have a, an, an outstanding three-point shot. If he's not blowing by you, then what is he doing? He, the, the mid-range jump shot isn't there. So I think it's similar with Blake Griffin is that he has a better skill set and a more diverse skill set. And so he can he can be better for a little bit longer, but you don't want to bring two of those guys on if you, you have questions about whether Griffin's going to be able to do that. And we saw some of his... Uh you know, off-season training started to ramp up with some of those three-point videos and, and things like that. Is he going to be 100% ready to go for training camp? Do you think he'll be full go there, or do you think he'll just be slowly getting back into it? Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to rush him along, but I think he'll be fine, and, and there won't be any injury concerns. It might be more of when they want to get him back up full to 100%, and that's a choice more so than the injury dictating that. It looks like mm-hmm. he's, um, he's almost ready to go up to this point from the stuff that I've seen. It looks like he's, he's uh, close to being uh, 100% in the offseason and what they like to do in the offseason. So it's just going to be, hey, whether you want to flip that switch and get him that other 10 20% um, to where he's ready to go at regular season form. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, well, we're going to close out with two Twitter questions, and this first one kind of goes off what we've been talking about. Uh, Mitten Levi on Twitter asks, what is your dream trade scenario? And I guess we could just go for this year. You know, what would be the dream thing for you? Uh, I think the, the best thing they could do was, would be to go out and get a, a Brad Beal or a, mm-hmm. a shooting guard that could really solidify that position. I mean, it, you're not going to get Clay Thompson, but Clay Thompson is that type of guy mm-hmm. who um, can play the two or the three at that size, about six seven, um, just shoot the lights out and, mm-hmm. and gives you that two-way threat. That's what I think they need. Is, is Bruce Brown going to have to be that in lieu of, of getting an all-star caliber guy? So if Detroit somehow magically got DeMar DeRozan, would, would that be a disappointing move in your eyes, or what would you think about that? Um, not disappointing. Defensively, he's not the same. But um, offensively, yeah, he, he can shoot the ball, and, and he's got that mid-range shot, and he doesn't take away, I don't think, from what Griffin and some of the other guys could do. But it, as with all of these trade scenarios, what are you giving up to get him? And that's mm-hmm. going to be the, the lasting question there. Um the thing about the Pistons is the two guys that they're talking about moving most are center and point guard. And most teams, to this point, have decided they're going to do center on the cheap and, and have some cheaper option at center. Except maybe the Sixers. I mean, there, there's two or three teams that don't have a that don't have a, a low cost center. And then point guard, where most teams either have their young point guard that they're developing, or they're already established and they have their Steph Curry, they have their James Harden, or their Westbrook, or Chris Paul. interesting to see what happens to DeMar. He's got a player option in 2020 of 27 mil, so you know maybe he declines that, you know, gets moved. But I, I saw talks of him wanting to do an extension with the Spurs, so we'll see. But we'll move on to our last question here from Mike. He's a contributor for the Palace of Pistons. Um, he asks, this is a long question, so prepare yourself here. I'm going to try and talk slowly for this one. He asks, can you recall a moment where you just stopped and removed yourself from work 
during the game and, and took the moment in because you recognized its significance. And for me, I, I kind of maybe think of, you know, your first year covering, you, you got to see LeBron, Kyrie, K-Love against the Pistons first round. You know, they were NBA champions. But, yeah, what do you think about that question? From a Pistons standpoint, I think for the, the Anthony Davis game at the Palace where he had 59, I think it was, was just sort of, I can't even <laughs> write about what he's doing because he's just, <laughs> everything he's shooting, he's making. There's nobody on this court that can stop him. Every time he comes down, he's hitting something. It's a three, it's something in the post, it's a mid-range, it's a turnaround. He had the entire bag going that particular night. And that was one where I just said, I'm not even going to, I'm just going to sit and enjoy this for the next five or ten minutes. I, there's nothing to write. But it's, mm-hmm. it, and you try to figure out something clever and something witty um, to try to describe what's going on. But that one was just that he was just, everything fell. Every, there was nothing the Pistons could do. It didn't matter who they brought out there. They had LeBron, and he was trying to guard Anthony Davis. It wouldn't matter. He was just really mm-hmm. in that zone that day. Mm-hmm. And he had 59 that game and Drew Holiday with 20. And then the next highest was uh, Ryan Anderson with a total of six. So he was definitely in his bag, 24-34. That's an amazing game to witness. But, Rod, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining. It was a great time. No, anytime, Dustin. I I appreciate you for having me on. This has been fun. Awesome. Well, that is the fifth episode of the Shandy Special, and thanks for listening.